Well, looking at uh, the passages that speak to how we treat one another. And we are jumping back into the book of Luke, which we've been in a few different times. Uh, and we'll find ourselves at the beginning of Luke chapter 18. Uh, so we'll be in Luke for a little while. As I think about uh, this idea of one another, and just having finished up that series, one of the reasons that uh, I, I preached on those passages was the, the recognition, I talked about this a number of times uh, through the series, that, that, that there's a problem right now, that we don't treat one another well. And that's true both in the church and outside the church, and uh, it's just, uh, it's happening all over the place, is that there is more and more division, polarization, that there's more disagreement, and that it's, uh, it's causing all kinds of, of conflict. So that even as we think about the ways in which we interact with one another, particularly over this last couple of years and, uh, and going back uh, a number of years now, it just, it's, it's discouraging, right? Like it, it, we, we look around and we, we, maybe we've experienced real broken relationships with family members or friends or coworkers, and I hear story after story of that. And that's just one of the ways in which we are feeling the heaviness of these, these last few years. Uh, and and it, I, I recently read this article about uh, dating and marriage, and, and, and it was suggesting that in like a first date, you ask those questions, right? Like, uh, what, what are you interested in? What are your hobbies? And, and the suggestion was one of those questions should be, uh, in what way are you messed up? And, uh, and, and, and that's not actually a, a bad suggestion for that situation, but it's certainly an appropriate question to ask at this moment. Uh, for each and every one of us. And, and you know, it's, it's maybe, if we really have opportunity to have a conversation with someone, maybe it's not, you know, how are you doing? Uh, but in, in what way are you experiencing the mess or are you yourself messed up? Uh, we're, we're feeling that heaviness. And we've talked again and again. We have uh, New Hope Counseling. There's information in the worship guide, storied lives. There's a, a recognition that we're, we're experiencing things that... Uh, we, we would readily say things are not the way they're supposed to be. That we're feeling the heaviness, we're feeling depression, we're feeling overwhelmed, we're feeling all kinds of things in this moment. And, uh, and there's a, a sense in which we, we have come to expect that things will just be easy, and when they're not, we become discouraged. And so we come to this passage in Luke chapter 18, and Jesus is telling this parable, and he, he starts by saying, Here's what I want you to get out of this parable. I'm going to tell you this parable, and it's, it's to this end, that you would always pray and not lose heart. Pray and don't lose heart. I just pray and hope. And, and prayer with hope, I think, is also, like, these things fit together. So, you know, we prayed. We had this prayer time, and a number of folks prayed. And I know that the things that were prayed for, uh, that was just the tip of the iceberg of the ways in which we're experiencing the brokenness of this world and our own lives and hearts. And so we come here and I, I, I pray that we, I hope that we find uh, great challenge and encouragement here from this parable to, to pray and not lose heart. We're going to see three things that our prayer is, is and it comes because there's injustice in the world, because things are not the way that they're supposed to be, because we can't fix it. That's because we're weak. Let's be honest. Uh, weak to fix it. We don't like to use that word. But wait, wait, I'm, I'm not weak. So we'll, we'll look at that. And then uh, we pray with hope. 
So we pray because there's injustice, because we're weak, and because there is hope. So let me pray now, and we'll look at this passage. Lord, fill us with the hope of your good news. Lord, that we might learn from this parable that you told 2,000 years ago, and that we might find hope and encouragement to pray. We trust in you. We look to you. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This, this parable that is pretty clearly about praying consistently has a focus, I think, with the hope, with the don't lose heart. It's a bit different from a very similar parable back in chapter 11 that was right after the Lord's Prayer. As Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer to the disciples. He gave a parable of persistence in prayer. I think we have that continuing theme, and yet there's, a, there's this addition of not losing heart, this addition of hope, and it comes because of chapter 17, which Jesus had just talked about, the coming of the kingdom. That is the coming of Jesus himself to come and make all things right. So there's a bigger picture here, a bigger picture of what we're looking for God to do. And so as we think about the fact that there's injustice in the world and that we experience that, uh, there are lots of ways in which we experience that on, on a smaller scale, but it's also just the reality of the world in which we live. The world is broken. There, there do exist widows, and widows very clearly in Scripture, and, and because of the reality of things at this time, there wasn't insurance, and there wasn't status for women who weren't connected to a man. Like They, they were the ones that were vulnerable, and Jesus is again and again saying, care for the orphans and the widows. So to remind people, reminding his people to, to do this thing because there was injustice. And, and she, in this situation, has an adversary. So she's going to the judge and she says, give me justice against my adversary. That there's something that is not right in the world. And for her in this particular, we don't know exactly what it was. We don't have to know what it was. Because we can think of all kinds of examples where injustice exists in this world or in our own lives. We can say that things are not the way that they're supposed to be, that we cry out for justice. And, 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 and we, again, there's a way in which we're experiencing that in more significant, more overarching, more powerful ways over the last few years so that we are longing for things to be made right. We're feeling the heaviness and hopefully then driven to prayer, but we're feeling that heaviness. And so uh, there, there is a... Uh, reality to sometimes when we go to our entertainment, we want to escape that. I know that's often true for me, right? I, I, I do value a good movie that helps me understand the life of somebody else who's experiencing something that, that I'm not. I think there's, there's often value there. But often I want to go to entertainment to, to escape that. And I want to find justice in what I'm watching. So I recently started watching a, a show about a lawyer. Uh, and the first season... Uh, had this, this kind of conspiracy and injustice that was happening and, and you're, you're longing for it to work out. And in the end, it does. The, the, the first season ends and, uh, and, and it's all solved. And justice is brought to bear. Those who were uh, guilty are found out and they experience uh, what they deserve. And uh, it was very satisfying. And then the second season um, was incredibly disappointing. Uh, because it, it, that's not what happened. One is the injustice was greater. So even as you're watching it, like this is so bad that even if the truth is found out, too, too much injustice is happening. That's part of what I'm feeling as I'm watching it. 
And then you get to the end of the season and there is no, uh, no, you know, they want to build for another season and they want it to be real. And I, I kind of remember that like TV shows when I was growing up, if there was any like question of justice, like it would resolve at the end of one episode, right? Uh, but now we've got to draw it out over a whole series, like so seven, eight seasons and no answers, right? And I'm just like, no! I, was, I, I wanted to watch this. I wanted to experience the satisfaction of, of, ju- of truth coming out and justice happening. And, and this is the way that we're created and built. And we all have uh, that same reaction, whether it's watching something and then even more so when it's in real life. But things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. And so this widow recognizes it in such a way that it's, it's such a burden for her that she continually goes to this judge who can actually give her justice against her adversary. She goes again and again and again saying, give me justice. I need justice. It's the cry of her heart and her life. And the Bible tells us we should expect this to be the case. Again, we, we live in a culture, in a world, where the pursuit of happiness, and really the experience of happiness, is what we think we should, should all experience all the time. And we live, historically, in this massively comfortable uh, culture and dynamic. And so when that's threatened in any way, we begin to feel the, the challenge, and we feel that, uh, that injustice. But the Bible tells us that we should expect things to be messy that we should expect there to be injustice in the world, that that's the result of the fall. So here's the it's part of the whole story of the Bible. Here's the outline of the whole Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, glorification. I guess from your perspective, creation, fall, redemption, glorification, right? God created the world and all things were right. And then Genesis 3, just third chapter of the Bible, brokenness and rebellion and selfishness enters into the world. And that, that taints all of creation until glorification. In the meantime, Jesus is working, God is working, redemption. That's the story of the Old Testament. There's this central character of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God himself that comes into this world and he begins to bring his kingdom and justice to bear. But one day he's going to come back and he's going to make all things right. That's glorification. That's the promise of what, what Jesus was talking about back in chapter 17, the coming of the kingdom when all things are made right. But now we're dealing with the fall. We're dealing with the mess. We're dealing with the injustice. We're dealing with our, our own hearts and the way that they play into that. And this is what we should expect. And I've said this before. Let's think about what, what are the biggest injustices that we can uh, imagine. And some of those that are right in front of our face right now, culturally. Let's say that today... And, and this isn't going to happen. We should still be working for this and praying for this and hoping for this. But let's just say that racism is ended, both in our own hearts and the prejudice that we have and in the systems all around us. It's just gone. And the same day, COVID is gone, done. Nobody has it. It's not a thing anymore. That would be amazing. And we all just like we, we think about that and we can begin to think, oh, my, can you even you can't even imagine what that would be like. And yet still there would be selfishness and sin and mess in the world. We'd be full of it. This is, this is unfortunately, the, the world in which we, we live. And, and, and sometimes we try to ignore it, and we try to ignore it by focusing on things that are, are good or just trying to not think about it. We're a little bit of, uh, 
I feel like we're doing this a little bit less over these last couple of years. We're a little bit, yeah, things are messed up. But sometimes on some level, we're still the Black Knight in Monty Python. And if you're not familiar, the Black Knight, uh, you know, Monty Python, to be clear, is, is incredibly silly. And the Black Knight stands essentially in front of a creek. And King Arthur comes up and the Black Knight says, none shall pass. He's like, I'm just, I got to go over here. So they end up in this sword fight. And, and King Arthur uh, cuts off the Black Knight's arm. And he's like, ah, oh, it's just a flesh wound. I won't, I won't try to do the accent uh, just for Adrian's sake. I'm not going to do any accents. Uh, the, the, uh, and he's just a flesh wound. And, and so uh, he's like, going to continue to fight. And so then he, he cuts off his other arm. And he says, no, it's just a flesh wound. So we're going to keep, you shall not pass. And, uh, and then he's just, he's had his, both his legs cut off. And it's just complete silliness, right? It's ridiculous. And, and we're ridiculous ourselves because we often say, ah, it's no big deal. It's fine. We just try to cover over what's messed up in this world, whether it's, it's our own sin and rebellion against God, whether it's the things that we're experiencing, whether it's somebody we love, whether it's their sin and brokenness. We, we try to act like things aren't a big deal. And my encouragement to you is to, to be honest about what is broken and messed up in this world and in your own life and in your own heart. That's what we're actually invited to do. So when we confess our sin... Uh, we're not just beating ourselves up. We're being honest about what's broken in this world and that we're a part of it. But we do so with the hope that, uh, that is coming. So let's be honest and not just put on that happy face. And, and if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and there's this, uh, I hope you're hearing the story of you don't have to get it all together. You don't have to, your life doesn't have to be all right. You don't have to uh, think that, uh, that there is a false sense of things being okay within the church, that, that if we're honest within the church, that we're actually owning the injustice and brokenness of the world. And we want to see it fixed so that we recognize in our weakness, we go and we pray. We go and we pray because we can't fix it ourselves. There's injustice, we're weak. That's the second point. We can't fix what's broken. Again, the widow is essentially the lowest in society at this point. She has no means with which to fix what is broken. And so she has to go to the judge. She has to go and and appeal to another. In this parable, we are very clearly the widow. I don't care how much power or wealth or anything that you have in this moment. When it comes to our position in the midst of the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of our own heart, we are the widow. We have no power. We are completely helpless and weak. This is the message of the gospel. That we have to confess our own sin. That we're part of the problem. That we bring injustice to bear, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us. And that doesn't matter who we are. This is true of every single one of us, that we are weak. We can't fix what is broken. And this is why Jesus is here. He's the one telling the story because he recognized, God recognized, he saw his people he knew. They're not able to fix it. And so he is here on this mission of fixing what is broken. He is the one bringing justice to bear in this world. Jesus is the one that is bringing answers. That, that brings the ultimate answer, not only of our salvation, of the forgiveness of our sin, and our rejection, and our rebellion, but also the redemption of all of creation. Getting ahead to point three, but that's, that's what he's, he's communicating here. We can't do that. 
We cannot fix it. And we know, think about the big things. Think about racism. Think about systematic uh, issues of racism around us. Think about our own hearts. If we're honest, we can't fix that. Our own prejudice and brokenness. Much less the bigger issues around us. We are not capable of doing that. They're, and they're all, that's just like one example of many of things that we can't fix that are messed up in our own lives. It's, it's why, you know, the, I've said this before, the self-help section in the bookstore, if you ever have been one of those kids, there are a few still around. Or if you've been online, if you've been on Amazon, they have a section for uh, self-help. Some people say Amazon. Self-help books, they're just more and more all the time. And it's, if there were one that would just fix it, then we wouldn't need more, right? We can't fix ourselves. It's a recognition that we need help, that we, we, we need to go to another. We're, we're, I think about, again, this show, I'm watching one of the, of the second season, the, the brokenness, the injustice is happening from billionaires and, uh, and the cartel. And it's like, it's so big and so massive that you know they're not, they, can't, they can't find justice here. It's just not going to happen. And, and you feel the helplessness of that. And, and it's, it's similar to the ways in which we experience the helplessness of our own inability to fix the things around us. And so we're invited to go to the one who can fix it, to the one who is the judge character, to our God, to plead for justice to recognize that, that we can't do it, to recognize that he is. And I'll get to it in a moment that we, we clearly have an argument from the lesser to the greater. So this, this, uh, this judge doesn't believe in God or respect man. If he is going to uh, be persuaded by the continual coming, the, the, the question that Jesus is answering is how much more will God, who loves his people, how much more? So it is from the lesser to the greater. Even though Jesus is the God character, he's not the unfeeling judge. He's the one who can answer. He's the one who can fix. He is the son of man, Jesus, the son of man, that we see in verse 8 when he comes. So again, going back to chapter 17, the coming of the kingdom, the coming of the, the God who's going to fix what is broken, who's going to bring justice to bear in this world, that's the one that we're invited to bring our request to. That's the one that we're invited to pour our hearts out before. And the promise is, he is able and will fix what is broken. Jesus is the one who invites us into his presence to bring our request to him, to pursue justice from him. Now, we talk about regularly, that doesn't mean that we're not pursuing these things regularly. We actually do so with hope, both in our prayers and our actions, seeking to see justice play out in our lives and the lives of others around us. Uh, but we ultimately look to him to do it. And we have to be honest about our own weakness. There's not room for pride here. There's, there's a need to humble ourselves before the Lord and as a result also before one another. This was a continual theme in the way that we should interact with one another. Again, both those in the church and outside the church that we should have this incredible level of humility because the recognition of the gospel is that we're just trusting and relying upon Jesus and not ourselves. 
no room for pride. So that as we pray, kind of sitting in this mess and the injustice and the fact, the fact that we can't fix it, we do so finally, third point, with hope. We do so because there is a judge who will answer, who will make all things right. And the, the, again, we're getting big picture here. We're not talking about this, this woman is experiencing some big injustice and it's going back to chapter 17 of all the world being broken, of Romans 8, that all of creation groans uh, hoping and looking toward redemption. That things are not the way that they're supposed to be. This is true for all of creation. The promise is that there will be redemption for all of creation. We're just invited to be a part of this big story. That things are going to be fixed one day. And that we can have that kind of hope. I think about, I'm, we're in the middle of football season, which I love. So I thought about, uh, I, I'm not a, a Saints fan uh, necessarily, but there was the first game in the Superdome after Hurricane Katrina. And it was a big party. There was a concert beforehand. And if you're not familiar with the story, Hurricane Katrina was this place where many, many people went uh, when the hurricane occurred. And it was described as like a hell on earth. There were way too many people. The bathrooms didn't work. There was no electricity. There wasn't enough food. People were mistreating each other. It was horrible. You can't even, uh, I mean, don't even really want to think about what it was like from some of the stories that were told. So fast forward, you've got this celebration, this party, this concert, this football game. Green Day and U2 sing a song called The Saints Are Coming. It's a great song. Look it up on Spotify. Um, and, and they sing about, at one point, Bono says, new birth, rebirth. And he's talking about, you have the beginning of this picture of this place that was horrible and terrible, used for the purpose for which it was built. A party and a, and a football game and a concert. Like it, it's this, uh, this joyous celebration, thinking about so much that had been overcome. In that period. That's just this small picture of the broken world in which we exist being made right. New birth, rebirth, new creation, glorification, God fixing what is broken. Because here's the thing is this God, that our God, he's the judge, except that he's not uncaring. He is the one who uh, deeply cares for his people. Verse 6 And the Lord said, Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? There's this incredible promise that he's going to answer. And I recognize, even as I read that, as I say that, you think, wait, will he delay long over them? This, Jesus said this 2,000 years ago. What do we do with that? Feels like a delay, right? Feels like a delay in his, his justice. And then we have to be reminded of who God is and who we are. So there are two things to think about. One is that God is God and we're not. And 2 Peter 3 verses 8 and 9 says this, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, the creator of all things, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Here is this hope that he gives, this reminder that God's timing is different than ours. And, and, and the promise is he's working. The promise is he is bringing justice and that he will completely one day. 
that, that we can believe this promise. Will he delay long over there? I'm going to tell you, he will give them justice. He will give justice to them speedily. Even in ways that we don't fully understand. Sometimes the answers to our prayers are no. Sometimes they're yes. Sometimes they're wait. We don't always understand. And yet the promise is that God is working. The other thing that Paul does regularly and fits in with this word speedily is that he talks about things that are to come in the future with, and he knows that they have such certainty that they're going to happen that he talks about them as though they were in the past. He uses past tense. It's because there is this certainty, this amazing certainty that God is at work, even in the mess, even in the injustice, even in our weakness. He is working redemption. And that he is moving toward glorification when all things are made right. We pray, we work toward, we hope for justice in all areas of our lives and in this world with incredible hope. Even while things are, are messy. We pray with hope. If, if, if there's no hope, then we, 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 there's no reason to pray. If there's not a God who can answer, then we don't pray. The invitation again and again from our Father, the one who is inviting us to bring our burdens to him, that, that he would take them upon himself. He is saying, I will fix, I will make right, I will alleviate the burden, and I will bring justice. That's the promise that we have from him. Many of you have heard this before, but some of you, you haven't. It's um, Stephanie's journal that she gave me permission to, to share on uh, a book, she was responding to a book uh, called Restoring Broken Things. It's a book I recommend, Restoring Broken Things. It's this promise of the hope of God making all things right and all things new, creation redeemed, Romans 8. Um, And this is one of the lines from Restoring Broken Things and then her response. But the moment glory rises, and the picture of glory rising is that glorification, it's It's the justice being brought to bear on what is broken in the world. The moment glory rises, it is like the passing of labor pain as one holds the newborn child. And Steph's response is this. Hope. This makes so much sense to me. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. There was so much pain accompanied in all my births. I never want to go through pain. It's all consuming. Feels like it will never end. Is awful. Feels like it's eating me, consuming me. I cried for deliverance. I thought the only way out, there was no way out except for death. But the moment, the sweet moment I held each of them in my hands, the remembrance of pain was forgotten. Forgotten. What did it matter then? I'd do it a hundred times if each resulted in such a precious end. But what a sweet reminder, tender reminder, that that end will come for me one day. One day, all that ails me, justified or not, will be so unbelievably quickly forgotten. And I will say, who cares? I'd do it again a hundred times if it meant this incredible, glorious end. Thank you for this reminder of hope in a new way. The moment glory rises. That's the promise of hope. That's a picture of the hope that we have to come that, that puts what we're experiencing now in perspective, but that also invites us to pray with hope. That these promises are real, they're certain, and that they matter for you and for me. Let's pray with that hope.